You're listening to The Agile CTO, a podcast geared toward technology professionals, disruptors, and thought leaders. This show will aim to cover industry trends, new technologies, the life of a CTO, building dev culture, stories from some of today's leading CTOs, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Agile CTO, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We've got a great guest here, Anthony Valkamut, who is the co-founder or founder and CEO of Zyflow, which is a, um, I guess you could call it an online digital proofing concept. Now, I, would, I want Anthony to tell us a little bit more about that. But before we do that, Anthony, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Maybe, um, Alan, how are you today? First yeah, of all, I'm Alan's joining us as a co-host today. Um, yeah, it's nice uh, change of pace. Yeah, yeah. It's Look, it's been a while since we've done a recording, so we're, we're a bit rusty. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Megan and Kate, just to take notes wherever you can. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, Anthony, tell us a little bit about you, your role, uh, a, a little bit about Zyflow, what it does. I, I'm very, you know, naive when it comes to this type of business, and, and I'm sure some of our guests would be very interested to know what it is exactly that Zyflow does. Great. Yeah. Thanks for ha having me. Um, so yeah, Zyflow and, and how I fit in. I mean, as you said, my uh, I'm a co-founder and CEO of Zyflow, also CTO, acting CTO at the moment. And um, yeah, so Zyflow, essentially what we're trying to do is, is help creative teams, you know, whether the marketing teams or you know, within brands or within agencies, helping them uh, get reviews and feedback on all of their assets. And this could be static assets. Uh, it could be it could be digital, you know, banners, websites, videos, audios, etc. So, we try and give them a single pane view of all the assets and give their reviewers an you know, opportunity to comment on that and provide uh, and 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 provide that uh, that that final decision to get those assets completed. And uh, yeah, so we've got you know a few thousand customers, you know just all, all over the globe, uh, mostly in the US uh, today. And yeah, we sort of process, you know, a few million assets as well that that go through, Cyflow go through our platform. That's amazing. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of challenge in, in the ability to annotate certain types of media. So I know that it's pr probably the easiest would be a sort of digital imagery, right? Uh, but sort of the world of video annotations and audio annotations, that must have been quite a challenge to get to get right. Yeah, I think PDF is actually probably the the hardest content type really? to get right because what yeah because w what you have to do essentially is just take a that document and make it visually um, you know, as accurate as you can in in browsers because everything is you know, we do everything through the browser. There's no app that you install anything mm -hmm. like that. So I'd say PDF and websites are the biggest challenge. Videos you convert to you know H.264 and it plays on pretty much all devices and you know with 4G, 5G around the world, and even if you're not on a Wi-Fi network, you can review uh, that video. So and PDF, it's got you know you, you're working in different. You know, it's a bit technical now, but it works in you know you can have uh, you know four four color layers in yeah. in in, uh, in CMYK transparency, knockout over print, all these different print settings in PDF and then you have to represent that in RGB which is three color profile in the browser it can never be perfect because you're going from four to three um, layers essentially and it's very hard to convert it accurately and then also have all the PDF settings apply 
when you convert them. So we've got like a multi-step process that they go through. But yeah, it's it's a fun challenge and you know, we keep on trying to make it faster, better uh, and so on. But yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a fun tech challenge uh, for for the mm. team. I wouldn't mind if we can just uh, break off there and stay in a little bit that geek space because in our world and in parts of where Anthony and I have overlapped where we've been in the packaging realm, um, in retail, and a lot of their challenge is exactly that print proofing on screen versus the olden day of having a light box and you would physically go and, you know, the retailers would be printing out on as accurate substrate as possible and actually try to do that color proofing in, a, in relevant light boxing. And now move that world from that like real analog printed out, trying to approve and annotate on screen or on 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 physical proof, now to moving digital. I mean that game must have changed also in the last five ten odd years, just in in screen quality and like retina displays. Like how is that how is that all played out? Because I imagine the agencies do they not really care? Like RGB is close enough. But I know in the retail game that would often come up saying Oof, online proofing will never be as good. You know, you know, it's, it, the, the screen and the RGB will never be there. But then you look at what Apple's doing is, is how has that played out in your guys game? Yeah, so yeah, Apple, I know they still work for for their packaging. They still have, you know, light boxes. They still have, you know, a specific, you know, that 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 setup that they physically okay. look at it. I mean, they they struggled during COVID, I know, to do that because they had to get people uh, you know, they, they couldn't get people into the office and so on to do that. But uh, there was some research during and this was back you know, during, uh, you know, uh, during, uh, you know, during our proof HQ days. Uh, but what they found was they actually had um, a, a large brand and they had, and they, and they tested their color on, you know, on, on different you know, newspapers, yeah. magazines, and so on. And then they actually looked at that, that color and this was done done in the U.S. And what what they found out was that the color is actually was off. I mean, every, everyone thought their brand was that that red was mm. spot on, but it, it wasn't actually. So they found out that yeah, you know, although they say the color has to be you know perfect match, this Pantone color, etc. In reality, people can't see it. Right. Now we see a distinction between the U.S. and Europe. Europe is still very much, uh, you know, they want you know they they'll say you know they want their color. 100% correct, etc. The US is, is slightly moved on, or maybe not moved on, but moved in a different direction saying, hey, it needs to be good enough. So so online proofing is okay for, for our content. Interesting. That's cool. Now, what's interesting about the two of you guys is that, Alan, you overlapped with Anthony professionally on uh, sort of, I guess, Anthony's pr- uh, previous life in Proof HQ. Um, mm. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that, that sort of pe- played out? Yeah, it was really interesting, and and that that era was quite a um, sort of a, a sliding doors moment for me in my career, actually. So it was you know, really interesting because it was at a time when uh, Hayfley was early days as a as a consultancy, and I had these bubbling opportunities, but none were really working. And then I had overlapped with the founder and Proof HQ, and I was operating as a analyst slash acting CTO slash product owner. It was sort of like quite early. And it was super exciting and sort of seeing that curve with Proof HQ was good fun. And it, and my company was on my back seat. And it was always this tension of like, should I commit to to this or and and forever kind of put my dream and my Hayfleet software kind of maybe not in the back seat, but in the boot. And then this 
seminal moment came where I kind of needed to choose. It was either then commit and stay the path in PreFHQ or like, no, I'm going to return to my original dream of, of Faithly Software and continue building. And it was around that time where I made the choice, which I did, which was, okay, I'm going to see Faithly Software through and take my business off, off the back seat and put it back on the front seat. And then I don't know if, if Anthony, we had met or if if um i remember interviewing you in that process and or had we i don't know if we knew each other before i think we met during that time and then we overlapped for a period yeah. but i don't think we knew each other prior to that no no we didn't i think the first time i met you was was in marlow yes. we were at matt's house and i still remember walking to the pub there on the corner to go and have lunch um i, I don't remember anything else about that day but i remember that specific walk to ha go, go and have lunch yeah. i don't know why and we still had Mike Brothers yeah. there as well. He was a sales yeah. guy. And yeah. yeah. No, interesting. And I still overlap with Mike still today. And Mike um, weaved a, a thread in our early Payfully software days. So that was a very, that sort of time period and that overlap actually sparked off some really interesting relationships. And then, yeah, at that time, then I stepped back out of Group HQ and, and Anthony kind of took over on from my role plus some. And then, yeah, the rest kind of took off. And then, Hayfully became my primary, and I, I watched, um, I watched from the sidelines with great interest. We we overlapped a little bit later because my our involvement in Hayfully with, with yeah. Tesco and their packaging automation and their packaging journey and software, which I was connected to with with them being one of our clients. Then there was another overlap saying, actually, you know what, Proof HQ has the solution here. So then we overlapped again, and so we are. Uh, um, and then, yeah, since then, obviously, PreFHQ kind of moved on, and, and now you're on to the next thing, yeah. So for the listeners that don't know, PreFHQ is very similar to what you've described as iFlow. So it's also an online proofing mechanism, a digital proofing platform. Um, so you you were involved in the early days there, and if you're Googling PreFHQ today, you might find some results in work Workfront. You might find that they're now have been acquired by Adobe. So now it's in a, in a, a part of the Adobe suite of products. And what's interesting for me is that decision to exit Proof HQ and then challenge them, right, on on the same business that you've helped set up. So I'd, I'm keen to know the thinking around that and 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 what brought you to that decision and and that challenge. Yeah, it's a good good question. So yeah, I think it was more not um, Matt and, and and my decision that that drove this, but. So Workfront acquired PreFHQ and, and the idea was, yeah, they, they, they were actually a partner of ours. They embedded PreFHQ within within the Workfront platform and the acquisition at the time made sense for them. And we were bootstrapped. Uh, we were at a sort of a inflection point as well, whether we had to go and get outside investment because we're getting to a scale, we couldn't fund it ourselves anymore. And we wanted to keep mm -hmm. the growth going. So we decided to, to exit to Workfront and then with Zyflow, the idea there was to uh, automate uh, automate creative production tasks, uh, you know, any uh, a bit like Zapier in the cloud, but for creative. but for uh, but for right. creative teams. And so we were building the platform, launched early twenty seventeen, and that's when you know some of our previous connections so on heard we were back in the market and were saying you know, they'd like to buy you know, more Proof HQ or you know, buy it standalone. They can't. What's happened? So, you know, as the year went by, uh, we, you know, Matt and I, then looked at the market and we said, "There's no uh, dedicated uh, solution 
you know, there's no standalone solution that's enterprise ready. So you've got the security credentials, etc. You've got the smaller platforms out there that's more SMB, but for large enterprises that just want a, a dedicated solution, there was nothing out there. So we decided then, you know, mid to late 2017 to pivot back into uh, into yeah. the space. Uh, and um, it was, yeah, honestly, had we had no idea whether it was going to work or not. It, you know, it's like almost a decade later, you're going to the same space, same market, and you have to say, okay, you know, it's going to work. Luckily with SaaS, I mean, you know, the markets have grown. So, you know, the risk actually was, was slightly, was slightly mitigated. And as we said, there was, there was a, there was a gap here for a solution. And, and we're seeing it. I mean, we still sign it. Obviously the majority of our customers are, are Greenfield. They use email or printouts mm-hmm. to, to, you know, perform these steps. So, yeah. Sure. And that, um, so it's interesting, yeah, that the actual journey starting of Zyflow was, you know, like I said, like a Zapier automation, but for creatives. And then I suppose in classic agile fashion, the kind of the market is coming to you, you're bumping into the same problem, kind of listening to clients going, okay, yeah, they're, they are interested in creative agency automation, but actually clients are still begging for the same stuff that they did before. So, yeah, what are you, what are you doing? If the clients are asking for it and there's, and there's a market to go to, then, then why not? Out of interest, whatever happened to those areas of functionality that you pivoted away from? So that original Zyflow sort of use case of doing the Zapier for creative, is that now still a subset part of Zyflow or did you realize actually the, the market that you thought was there wasn't there or was it a combination of now? Yeah, it's actually worked out pretty well. So that's become Zyflow Connect, which is our integrations okay. platform. So we can automate different tasks, you know, we can convert files, etc. But we can also we've, we've extended it. So it now allows us to integrate with other project management systems, any systems, really, I mean, it's almost like um, postman, you know, you can make any, yeah. any call, any API call, but now we've built start building native apps. So we've got the Monday.com and mm. ClickUp and Jira apps just to make it a lot easier for customers to integrate, but super flexible. So, you know, uh, we've got a, uh, I'm not sure if I can mention the customer, but they're a large gaming company and they were using Dropbox, Jira and a few other apps. And they were manually, so the designers were putting files into Dropbox. They were taking the links, copying them into Jira. And then there's approvals, update the status. We automating all of that because we can, we can watch a folder in Dropbox, start the review process, then call Jira, cool. uh, update the status, put the links in there. Very, cetera. very cool. Sure. I mean, I, I mean, I remember the early, the early use case just for automation, just to jump back to like the current Zyflow value proposition. And I see what you mean by the markets change now a decade on and what SaaS has done around the world means the, the, the concentric circle of companies that are ready to take on automation and are um, now the price point, I suppose, is also a bit different. Whereas in the past, those that were doing automation with these larger brands that we were like willing to, to afford it now, actually everybody in some way needs to be approving some assets to do more, whether it's on social media or otherwise. So that the general market has expanded and those who there and everybody's education and demand has also increased. So yeah, I imagine a whole bunch of people who are still doing email approvals, sending PDFs around, collating comments. I remember the big change in when we were doing it in in the retail space was like phenomenal going from this serial approval process of, you know, getting the PDF even if you're emailing out the PDF to seven people and then waiting and collating and collecting and then 
to now going onto the automated annotated uh, tool was cutting approval cycle from like three weeks down to four days. And that was like game changer because now you could actually do two versions in the same time um, and be done within two versions. Whereas before you were going to version seven, eight, nine and had lost track along the way. So now it's like a power use case and I can see how it's not really going to go away. You know, it's still more and more people need to approve more and more content. So it's not going anywhere. No, exactly. And um, yeah, so we, we, we do have a lot of open roles, sales, etc. Alan, so, uh, you know, I think you're doing a great job selling software, <laughs> so feel free to apply at any point. Well, but, along know, the way, I, I've, I've come to learn your guys' game quite a lot from doing it from the fire side. So yeah, yeah. if, yeah. I, if I ever need a side gig, yeah, I'll, I'll give you guys a shout. <laughs> you know, so... The thing that's that that surprised me, and you know, I, I'm not sure why it does surprise me, but the so we 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 talk about the three C's and the you know well, what what are the challenges? Why do companies buy Zyflow now? If you have a few pieces of assets you need uh, to to review from a small group, great, you can use email. It's not a problem. But once the the different asset types, you've got a lot of content or large files, you know, it it becomes a need. You know, you need you need a a, a solution so we, so we talk about the all, all the different content and then you've got a lot of you know, a lot of people involved now you've got more and more different groups um that need to give feedback so that's actually increased that we, we see an increase in in that as well so we saw see a almost like a on average a one to five ratio and that includes even our small accounts our free plan etc so for one creator one person sharing there'll be at least five people hmm. giving feedback and as you know, I mean, some of these assets have like hundreds of people on them, literally giving comments, yeah. all of them. And then com compliance is the other uh, other angle. So we're seeing a lot more compliance driving uh, the need for a system. So you need these audit trails, you need, you know, the reports and, you know, these companies being mm -hmm. audited. Um, you know, we're seeing now, you know, with some interest on the crypto side where there's more regulation coming in and they need to, you know, all their ads need to be approved. You're seeing in the UK, a lot of these um, companies getting banned from advertising because, you know, yeah, they're not regulated. Wow. So you know, that compliance kicking in. So that's across uh, different industries. So any of those sort of challenges they have in, then they need a solution. And it's just becoming more and more. Um, so yeah. We can, um, sorry, Guy, I'm sort of uh, jumping around, around topics, yeah, but sure. on a, uh, when we were early podcast days and, you know, coming up with the name of the Agile CTO and, Sort of trying, and the the beauty of that term is both agile being a, a term in the software industry, but also just the verb of being uh, the adjective of being agile. And you've always stood out for me as one of those classic cases because you've actually run the CTO title in multiple frames and in multiple um, kind of wearing the CTO hat in different environments. Yeah, so I've always and and you having done this now a couple of times and in different environments. What is that? being agile as a CTO um, to you mean? And how does agility uh, manifest itself in your day-to-day, -day, right? So I mean, yeah, keen to hear on your take on it. Yeah, yeah, the CTO role, it's it's probably like a lot of the uh, C-level C, C uh, C-suite roles is that, you know, as a company scales, it gets bigger, you need to be able to do different things. So I remember at PrefetchQ, you know, to give you an example, Matt went on holiday, my co-founder, and then he's like, yeah, I've, I've got a few demos, you'll have to do them. And I was literally like sweating. Uh, I was, 
I remember it was a Monday morning having to do a demo to this UK company. I was like, oh, I can't sell. Now it's, you know, sort of 10 years on, you feel super comfortable doing it. And I think it's, it's not being able to do everything, but being able to, yeah, you have to adapt, you have to learn. And I think, you know, any CTO, you have to adapt to these different environments. Mm-hmm. And I think, I said, well, one of the key aspects is the tech side. You, you need to gain the respect from the team. So, you know, don't, you know, at, at, uh, at, uh, at Proof HQ, we were PHP. I was Java background, Java engineer background. Didn't know anything, but, you know, it all, architecture is all the same. So you, you, need, you need that tech aspect, aspect. But I think the other side is the product piece. I mean, if, you, if you're a company, if you're a software company building products, you need to be relatively strong. Uh, you know, you'll have VP products that are much better at it, but early days, you, know, you just can't can't afford it. So you need to be really strong in building products, and then seeing how that, you know, works in in an environment with your customers. So you know, up until just the other day, I mean, now it's too many, but I would look at every single support ticket coming in, trying to understand what our customers saying, where are the issues, sure. etc. And it's, I mean, it's just being in the detail. Unfortunately, you know, in, in the early days, but as you then as as things get bigger and this is still one of the areas i'm working on is is getting then your team in place it's like okay letting go Mm. getting and finding the right team members to take that on that you know because i'm sort of a startup you know from yeah from zero to yeah bootstrap so that's you know we haven't had you know large-scale organizations you know i find it harder to go and recruit the right people Mm. to to get in so you know our advisors and so on now help a lot with that which is super useful so you're you're, you're a technical guy uh from from your background is technical you mentioned java how much of that do you still get to how much of that muscle do you still get to exercise these days do you do you still find yourself looking over a dev's shoulder every now and then or are you sort of um too far removed from that or too busy to do that these days yeah so i'm literally just in sales and marketing at the moment that's that's the only place I live there as, as CEO now of, of uh, Zyflow, um, you sort of move in the areas where you, you've got to focus, you know, tech side's doing okay. Uh, I'd said the last time I actually looked at code, which was, which was quite, quite interesting. It was, uh, I think it was 2018 or no, it was beginning 2019. And we had a very large migration to complete. And uh, there were some issues, uh, basically three weeks working night and day. And, you know, when some of the devs went to sleep, I would debug and so on. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not missing it anymore. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not one of those guys that, that still like to dabble. I'm, I'm quite happy to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sit in spreadsheets and so on. That, that's where I get my, my tech kick. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. It's quite interesting that, you know, you've been involved in two, I mean, Proof HQ, I assume was a startup as well from Bootstrap. So you've been involved in two startups and both of them seem to be very highly successful companies today. That's quite rare. You usually hear a story, you know, you hear the, 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 the bodies lie behind you in the startup world, right? You normally try six things and then maybe the seventh thing takes, takes hold. But that, that doesn't seem to be part of your history. Do you think that is, a, that is something special within you or do you think it's just been luck? Yeah, I'm sure you can be lucky twice. Um, so it does happen. Uh, I'd, I'd say, you know, Matt, my co-founder, I mean, he is the serial, you know, founder. I mean, he founded his first company in the late 90s. Yeah, you know, I obviously 
moved from from SA to so obviously, but I moved from South Africa to the UK and you know, was stuck working for certain companies that didn't have much uh, flexibility. But Matt co- founded you know, various companies, and you know he had a few runs. Uh, you, I think he gained a lot of experience out of that. And I've met him by working for one of the companies before ProofHQ. He founded. He had already left. That's still going, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't you know, any anywhere successful. But yeah, you know, so I've seen. And I've always worked for small companies, so I've seen at least enough as a as the engineer, mm. as a um, as an employee, like some of the things that I didn't enjoy from an employee point of view. So at least now managing the teams, and hopefully you know people feel that way. But you know you sort of know the things you don't like and you don't want to do. But in terms of making it successful for customers, and really it's just you know we're trying to solve problems at the end of the day. So you're know, building a product, and you you know, and we just stick in the area we know best i mean you know we see some of these other companies growing at like insane you know um you know rates but you know matt and i know the agency and the marketing and, and creative team well not that we worked in it but we've always built solutions for it and just sticking in that area is, i think has helped a lot so we haven't veered off into different areas uh too much so i think that's that's probably why it's helped to be be successful yeah so like playing to the strength and realizing your strength and and sticking with it and mastering it further and then solving the next set of problems even better than the time before yeah yeah and it's just yeah and and it just and you just double down on that yeah now you you can talk to customers and you know within 10-15 minutes you know i can see their their world i can see their workflows and so on now the hard thing is to how do we how do we um how do we move that knowledge to the rest of, of our team and you know as you scale so that that's the next challenge we have is educating the rest mm-hmm. of our team about this and i think that's where you have to get industry ex- expertise and so on within the team as well but yeah i mean it's just yeah it's just sticking with what we know basically i mean it's no no secret recipe or anything yeah. like that just just on that and on that yeah i think that challenge of growing and having the right structure in place for the size that you are but also the size that you want to be and that whole throwing you know, uh, swinging the ball to where the player is going to be, not just where the player currently is. Could you paint a little bit of a picture of the Zyflo team now, sort of how it's structured, like sort of the scale of it, just for for listeners to get a sense of how you've structured sort of sales, marketing, technical, and sort of the ratios between them to give a sense of the of the team. Yeah. So. We have you know, all the various bits. So you know, have you, we have our engineering team. The majority, bar one, is is in cool. Poland. Uh, so we've got you know, uh, developers, QA, product design, all based out in in Poland. And that's about I'd say a third to a little bit more of the company. So it is always a little bit more engineering mm-hmm. heavy, and then. Sales and marketing and the onboarding, the customer success teams are, are based out in the US uh, for for the right. majority, and you know that's split. I mean, again, you know, with sales, it's you know, we've got outbound reps, so these are people just going outbound and emailing, calling prospects, and to get leads in. You've got the inbound reps, which anyone who sort of contacts us and Sonia will reach out and say, "Hey, do you need help, or do you want to, you know, do you want to have like your mm-hmm. own?" process in terms of buying so you know we have those reps and then we have the sales team so the actual closers so smb uh mid-market enterprise and the marketing's interesting i mean we've just 
uh, you know, sort of grown that team quite a bit. The the actual creative design, uh, the actual that production side. So we have three motion designers, we have uh, multiple designers, we have you know content writers, etc. So yeah, big part of it. You know, we obviously with most of our businesses, the organic leads convert yeah. the best. They you know, the lowest cost, they're the best. So getting content and getting good content out there, I mean, we, yeah, that's what we preach yeah. on the website is, <laughs> is this whole, is this whole creative excellence. So we have to do it and it's hard. It's hard to get right. I mean, it takes a lot of work. So marketing, yeah, we really focused on that side on the marketing um, part and then, yeah. And then support, uh, support's also based out in Poland and finance. Uh, so we're just, just over a hundred people, 105 or something. Sure. Yeah. No, that's cool. Reasonably big. I mean, we can probably relate to the content creation, but we we've you know we've been on the journey a little bit now, but obviously not to the degree that Zyflo has been doing it. But we we're we're sort of finding our feet in that space. Podcast being one of them, but but the avenues of generating content, blog posts, just getting our knowledge out there to the community, we found is is highly valuable uh, to get engagement from you know our, the community in general and obviously potential sales that may come from that. So yeah, I think it's a different world now in terms of that that marketing aspect of just getting your content out there. It's, uh, I'm trying to think of the term that Dan Sanchez mentioned, Alan, what, what he called it, but it's, it's, it's effectively the, the, this mechanism to just make clients want you as opposed to telling them what they need. You know, it's brand. Yeah, it's, it's brand, right? So we, we had a meetup, uh, the, uh, it was nine December with a sales team and, and one of them was saying, you know, why would someone buy Zyflo over one of our competitors? And I was like, well, you know, why do you buy Apple over, you know, Dell or HP? And like, ah, oh, Apple is most amazing. I'm like, well, it does exactly yeah. the same thing. I mean, you know, and people who go like, yeah, people are fanatical, yeah. right? So it's really, it's like, yeah, as soon as you start talking about, you know, things you know about the expertise, et cetera, you start building that brand. And that just takes so much effort and time to, to build that. And yeah, as you guys know, with the podcast, I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, you have multiple pre-calls, you have multiple people on this, you have to get it. I mean, it, it you invest a lot of time, but, but people do see that, you know, at the end of the day, when you get it out there, people actually do value that because, you know, the average person sees about 10,000 ads a day, you know, online, TV, radio, etc. So you're getting a lot of content thrown yeah. at you. So if they do read something or they do listen to it, I mean, that's, that's mm -hmm. a big thing. Sure. Um, to jump back to uh, something you sort of passed on on earlier around what might have been our, our previous chat a, a couple of weeks back, the obviously the the trajectory and the the execution of these two you know, similar domain products, but two very different um, uh, or two very different environments. You've done the one less VC, and this one sounds like more of a VC path. I'd be keen to hear about the the primary differences between those journeys and any kind of like myths that you've debunked in yourself of what you thought the VC journey would have been like versus any surprise, pleasant surprises or not so pleasant surprises that you felt on that path. Yeah, I think also from a from a listener point of view, those entering the product space and are both tempted by the VC path or put off by the VC path it would be cool to actually hear from someone that's walked it and is currently in it. Yeah, it's it's obviously also different times that we were doing it. So PreFetchQ, you know, Matt started you know the first sort of project in two thousand and seven. I joined him in early twenty ten, and you know 
we were one of the first, you know, there weren't that many companies doing it fully remote. So we were fully remote at the time, you know, engineering in Poland and hosting in the, in the US, selling in the US. So, and we were a UK company. That was relatively novel for a startup at the time. So the way, you know, the, the cost structure, the remote uh, nature of the business allowed us to bootstrap it so we could get quite far with, with every dollar we we made. And it got, you know, with Privetri, it got to a point where uh, we were just also getting 100, just 100 people, similar size to where we are now. And we said, yeah, you know, to keep that almost double year-on-year growth rate, we'd need funding because now you just need more people and just doing that, you know, hand to mouth is very hard now with SciFlow, things are yeah we've similar model we uk company hosting in the us 80 percent of our customers are in the us and our engineering teams in, in poland and but yeah just overall you know building software today it's easier and it's harder so easier you've got more tools so you know we use multiple tools for you know identity management we don't write it we just use auth zero no. and then you know your billing systems etc so you can just take users off the shelf tools and that makes it a lot cheaper but customers expect a lot more i remember the first ui in, in prefetch i mean you know we didn't need much but with zyflo i mean the bar is much much higher now you've got zyflo connect which we didn't have you know that connect i mean we didn't need that many integrations now we integrate right from the creative production tool. So Adobe Creative Suite, Final Cut Pro, we have extensions there that the designers or creatives can just create, start the process mm. from there. Feedback happens. Most people don't even have to go into Zyflow. You can start it all from Dropbox, Drive, Creative Extension, etc., And then we can deliver that file where you need it. And we'll automate that whole process. You know, So there's a lot more development you need yeah. to do. And I talk about this iceberg effect where you know, if people look at different competitors and, you know, they might see, oh, similar features, but the scalability underneath that, you know, we've got very large companies using us, you know, doing thousands of assets a day, thousands of folders and and users. There's all that scalability. So now I think raising money definitely makes it easier because, you know, it gives you the funding to do it. So we we, we started the the, the sort of the seed round was, was Matt and myself, but to keep the growth have that growth rate your know, cost is just higher and even now i mean we see it now with with the whole yeah. market i mean um i don't know how it is in sa but the us and europe i mean wages are just going up at an insa- insane yeah. amount so yeah you you need to go you need you need the funding to help you to move to the next step but there are always advantages because they bring a lot of experience the connections our ceo is through uh one of our board members you know we never found him if it wasn't for for, for them. So there, there are some advantages to it as well. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, cause for every story you hear of, you know, the VC path being desirable and undesirable, it sounds like in order to get it on the desirable side, it really is about, I suppose, not rocket science, but getting the cultural match and the right alignment with the type of VC firm and the VC firm that is sufficiently engaged so that you could even have that opportunity where one of their board members actually become as part of the team and yeah so yeah so we, we're lucky i mean um uh ferris from from companion he was an advisor for us at prefetch key he was with openview okay. so they invested in zyflow so we were quite lucky in that regard that we knew him pretty well and we had his background you know sort of knew his background and what it what it could bring 
and you know he yeah. made some great uh, introductions for us at Proof HQ. So that that helped a lot. We are looking obviously at our next round now in in Q3. So it'll you know we'll have to go through that process again, and it's hard. I mean, it really is hard because you're trying to find the right fund, the right you know people to work with, and so on. And it has to be a match both ways. So it's you know you might meet the thing about it is it, it could be a lot of knows and you, you never know why people say no it just isn't a match i mean the stars have to align perfectly because they most of them only do a few handful of investments yeah. a year so you might meet 30 40 50 and you know one says yes and that can be very very tough if you um you know if you're not uh if you're not yeah. used to and never mind the time and energy to invest in the investment decks and the pitching that goes on behind each of those and while you're also uh, making sure that the tech team is functioning and the careers are developing and the sales and marketing is on point and that finance and operations is happening and then also making sure that your your in potential investors are getting the best of you yeah okay yeah yeah it is very it, it can be very distracting so you know i usually meet with vcs regularly you know either the analysts or do updates and so on but decided this year q1 q2 we're heads down and it's made a difference i mean you know we just focus on the business we'll run a process in q3 and that's it and that's you know they say you should always be fundraising but i think it can also get quite distracting you know because they'll always say something you know you have some saying oh you know you should be doing this or you should be doing that and you're actually going to oh maybe i should yeah. you know you, you start doubting yourself mm-hmm. and you so wondering, and then, you know, just go, hold on, let's just focus on what we do best and just heads down and, and execute. Mm. That still is the best way. Yeah, I, mean, I, was, I was about to ask because, you know, there's that, those two schools of thought, like in the same way, oh, you should always be hiring for talent as well, we should always be fundraising. And yeah, I can imagine, especially in the product game. Um, but yeah, maybe it's, it's almost that balance of, well, if you fundraise correctly and properly with the right partner, that gives you the minor, right amount of runway for your next annual target or your two-year target, then you ought to be able to put your head down and focus Q1, 2, 3, and we'll pick us up again in Q4 because that's when it is, as opposed to just like perpetually dating and perpetually pitching. GR, yeah, must yeah. be exhausting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. I think you mentioned um, it's the, 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 the challenge uh, is scaling, you know, individuals, people growing from a company of 25, 50 to a company of 100 must have been quite a, quite a big thing. And I think you mentioned the challenge being a hand-to-mouth thing. So it's like there's this constant, you know, you're, ch- you're using your, your, your growth to fund your, your, your financial growth to fund your talent growth. And, and that is not sustainable over the long term. Is that something that you would agree with? Or what advice would you give a company that's, you know, realizing they're hitting the wall of their people growth? What should they do now to get through to that next phase, getting to the 100, 120 people that you foresee the business requiring? Yeah, I mean, so SaaS, this model is, it's, you know, you, your costs are all up front. So, you know, with Proof HQ, it wasn't, you know, back in 2010, 2011, we weren't that used to that whole model like you know you're burning cash yeah. here and and you know you need to run a profit right that's how people always thought about it but people yeah we've all become more comfortable with like okay there's going to be a burn rate but it's got to be within you know certain uh multiple of of the uh, growth that you're doing and it's it's trying to get that right so i'd say yeah and i yeah 
we had this at PrefetchQ. We have it at Zyflow as well. It's like it's that point where you want to scale your sales and marketing. That is the hardest piece because that's where a lot of the risk lies. If you've got a relatively okay product and you know gross retention's high, so we know once we've got customers on, they'll mm. stick around. But it's scaling that sales and marketing, and that's that's where the you know, even the people risk and the growth risk comes in because you have to get all these dials right in the business and. And now you're saying, okay, you know, you're throwing money at this and you're saying, okay, I've got to grow the sales team pretty quickly because you've got to go and try and double again next year. And it's obviously compounded. So you have to go and double whatever you did. You have to do in one year what you did in all the time you did last, in, yeah. you know, so in five years before, you have to do it in one year and then you have to do in one what you did in six. So the pressure is, is on and it's, it's always trying to take the pressure of the team. And that's a big thing. And then just having repeatable processes in place. So yeah, as you scale and yeah, that's always hard is like saying, okay, how can we make things repeatable? Engineering is not easy, but you know, now we're working on marketing and that process and making that engine repeatable and then sales as well with, um, you know, it's new business and so on. But yeah, it's, I don't have any specific advice. It's just, you know, just, it's, it's, it's a tough game. It is a tough game, but, uh, you know, there's, there's the, the playbook is there so you don't have to make it up that that's the one thing i'd say so find people that have done this um or have seen this and know what the what the playbook is and take the advice you're never going to be able to follow it 100 percent because you know you might be looking for a c-level high and you can't find the right person so it takes longer and you have to do something else you find a different mm-hmm. person but it is um it's the the, the the playbooks are there you just have to you have to try to follow them as, as close mm-hmm. you can and just work within what you get or that sort of the college yeah, you got. I would imagine I would imagine some of the, the advice or some of the feedback you're getting is is challenging to your ego right so in other words what I mean is you might have one view of how to do things and you might have had success in that in previous worlds and then you break into a new you know size or new uh, size of enterprise or and all of a sudden the advice that you're getting is counter to your intuition is counter to what you've learned and how you've grown and how have you ever hit a wall like that and how have you sort of worked through that yeah, it's it's a great question because it's it literally just happened to me in the past, say I'd say six to nine months. We're very very used to you know our, our strengths. We're building you know startups, so I like flat structures, especially mm-hmm. in engineering. Yeah, you know, don't need many managers. You know, you have your scrum teams, you have scrum master, but everyone's working together as teams. And okay, you have a VP of engineering who can make final calls and decisions, but and you have more senior and junior people, but everyone's working as a team. So it's not this hierarchy. And and I, I love that structure mm. and it, it works well and, and I find it works the best. But as soon as you get to you have 50 plus people and so on, you, you need some more management. Now, engineering can actually grow quite large without needing all those mm. layers. But sales, marketing, support, you, you need management a lot quicker. You know, every five, six people need, you almost need a manager to help things coordinated etc now for me that's you know in terms of you know getting that feedback and you know sort of trying to apply that same principle from engineering to the others i mean i found that really hard and you know and i had to go through that pain first to to see you know i had to to feel the pain before i like realized okay yeah it's, it's one of those things so and and i've heard you guys talk on previous podcasts about your kids and you know how you can, you know, yeah, how you can be a good dad sure. and so on. And um, I heard this, um, I don't know where I heard it, but someone said, yeah, as you, you, know, you can give anyone advice. You know, they will more than likely not follow it. 
But when you get that advice and then they experience it, the learning from that is just so much quicker than when they didn't get the advice. And, you know, when you experience that yourself, you see, okay, I've gotten better at like giving advice because I was always like, why are people not listening? I mean, I literally said this. You know, then, I mean, come on. And you sort of then, okay, you know, and the same happened to me. I mean, I literally went through that. It's like, yeah, the board, you know, they'll give you the advice and you'll, you'll hear it, but you don't know how to actually action on it because you haven't experienced it. And once you do, you go like, okay, now, now you can adapt and you can quickly act um, accordingly. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. I think it was Guy and I, yeah, it was you and I, Guy, we had this similar conversation yeah. about a week ago going, sometimes it's really easy to hear the advice and give the advice and it's just not absorbable because the, the person almost either discounts that advice as being, well, now my situation's a bit different. Or remember, I've got a different skill set or I've come from a different background. So that, that that learning and wisdom is somehow discounted and then you fall into the same hole and then you have to introspect. And if you introspect, you then realize, ah, now I get it. Like now I get it. And and in a way, there's almost like it's the same reason you can tell your teenager to do do what yeah. they need to do and they are going to crash their car. And only then will they realize, ah, you know. Maybe I shouldn't drive like a complete idiot. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was going to say, it's sort of like a teenage mentality applied to professional life. It's almost like, you you, you know, you, you, the people around you are telling you, don't do that. You're going to hit your head here. This is what the challenges are you're going to face in 6, 12, uh, 24 months time. And you go, nah, don't worry about it. I'll figure it out. You know, don't tell me what to do. I know better. And then, yeah, and then it inevitably happens. You go, oh, should have listened to dad, you know, given that more thought. Yeah. But it's funny, you can, if you apply that, you can say, and we've had this before, uh, it's interesting, Anthony, how you kind of confirm it, that we sometimes will have, okay, well, what age is what part of the business? And you go, okay, look, our sales and marketing team, it's like a troubled teenager, you know, or our technical team, no, it's like an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, it's kind of, it kind of can stand alone and it, it, it won't make a complete embarrassment of itself. Um, <laughs> but then another part of the business is, no, they're like a six-year-old. So you you gonna you can't leave it, it it will wreck the kitchen like you can't and and you sort of if you identify that and you realize you also can't make a six year old behave like a twenty two year old it will just take time for that maturity and the learning to kind of seep in that's interesting. Yeah, it's like a, I think sales and marketing is just much harder because uh, engineering is very black and white. Mm-hmm. You you know you release a piece of code. It either works or it doesn't. Um, the trick is obviously the actual product and the solution you, you're delivering, and whether you get product market fit. But you know, there you can iterate very quickly, etc. On the sales and marketing side, you know, marketing is is a major lag. I mean, you put something out there, yeah. you know, you get a few views on a video, or you get you know this and that. I mean, it just you, it's a big investment of a long period of time, uh, and then getting that flywheel going on that side is takes just longer, and you you have to be patient and there's we, we saw that Proof HQ and we're seeing it at Zyfler. At some point, you get that brand recognition where just enough people get to know you where they, they talk about you. So, you know, Matt and I got known as the online proofing guys. Now, we try to step <laughs> away from that term because Zyfler does more than online proofing. Yeah. So, we, you know, sort of changing the messaging. But, but you get that, uh, you get a tipping point on that. And I was speaking to another CEO um, the other day and he's like, yeah, we're launching a new product. What do we What do we do? I said, well, I said, you know, you can you can do what you want. You can you know, if you find the right channels to to talk about it, great. But otherwise, it's just like you know, you've got to talk about it a lot over a long period of time. Yeah, so there's yeah. like no 
there's no substitute for that time. You just can't. You know. yeah. Now, I, I can resonate. You know, marketing is, is a lot. It's also this dark art. So add, adding to the patience and that you can't just, you know, turn this lever and expect anything to happen. This is also a, a dark art to it. It's not science. You know, you're dealing with human attention and you're dealing with other, a lot more dynamic stuff happening. So, yeah, no, it's interesting. Cool. And and we've sort of spoken spoken about Zyflow now and your professional history, but I'm, I'm keen to know where your career started. So when you were in high school, university, early days of your career, what was your aspirations and did you see yourself ending up where you are now? Or is this a very different world to what you perceived for your future? Yeah, very boring um, history, uh, to be honest. So, yeah, I wanted to be you know, encoding, you know, from seven years old when I got my Commodore 64 cool. and, you know, you're coding from a book and you're making these games mm. and, and most of the time they didn't work and you go over the code a hundred times and copied it exactly from the book. But yeah, it was frustrating. And um, yeah, so, you know, I studied IT uh, in, in Johannesburg and you know, started working sort of at the same time. I mean, the course back back in the late 90s was very easy. In my third year, I had four, four classes. That's it. On a Friday morning, I had uh, two hours of classes and, and that was it. So started working full time and actually oddly enough i started working you know i worked for a few companies but then i ended up at an at an agency uh and they were doing brand you know new brand design you know new totally rebrands of, of big companies like barlow world and sassel had a rebrand yeah, this agency did it we developed the software to roll that out so you could you know business cards uh the ads etc so we developed that software and that's where we learned a lot about this color conversion and so on. And, you know, worked for the same company in, in the UK in the beginning. And then after that, did a stint in travel, which, uh, you know, travel, uh, online travel, which I didn't enjoy that much. I mean, it wasn't my, my cup of tea. And then back into into the space. So, yeah, you know, and then landing up as, you know, CEO. I mean, I always wanted to have my own business. So I was lucky finding Matt as my co-founder. Uh, it's very hard to do it on your own, uh, you know, you know, you see some of these co- these founders that just do it solo and, you know, I, I take my hat off for them. I mean, that is just so hard. So finding the right co-founder is, makes us so, so much easier. Right. And you were, you were predominantly um, inward focused in that co-founder relationship. So you mentioned Matt was doing the, the, the demos and sort of the, the client facing stuff. Is that sort of the dynamic that you guys still hold today? Or is there is there a slightly different dynamic now? Because it sounds like you were more tech focused, more more in, in inward focused, and then Matt was sort of like sales and client focus. Yeah, so um, Matt's not as involved. I mean, he's been involved the, the last few quarters, and uh, you know more on the uh, on, on the marketing side, and and so on. Uh, but uh, he's not as involved with Zyflow as he was uh, back at uh, Proof HQ. So. I've shifted my focus a little bit, you know, it's more spread product and sales and marketing, but we have a new CEO who joined. So, um, yeah, so he's taken over that go to market function. So I've had to learn pretty quick in being able to do the, uh, do the external facing uh, stuff as well. Cool. And, uh, just jumping back to some, some family stuff. Cause I think between us, we are, uh, between the three of us, we have a whole pile of kids and, and I'm not the only one with the, with the size family. How are you finding this, entrepreneur founder and the pace that's required for VC growth 
um, on family dynamic and kids because I mean that's a whole other thing while you're also growing a business you're growing a family and and youngsters as well yeah how, how are you finding that whole journey yeah I mean uh, running a business is much easier than raising <laughs> kids uh, that's that's that, that's a given and uh, I'd say yeah I mean it's it is obviously hard balancing it out so you know we you know my wife also travels quite a lot so she just you know, right back this morning but you know being able to work from home you know makes a huge difference so you know we we remote uh, again from the start with Zyflow and a whole team works remotely at you know, from home usually and that helps a lot with you know, the kids so you know when I leave here at six you know it's, it's literally you know, 10 second walk from my garden office into the house <laughs> cool. and see the kids and so on yeah it's, it's, it's always a tough balance I mean it's not easy. it was it was hard with it you know because we have uh, a set of twins and uh, they're three and a half now that first year year and a half was was tough you know the lack wow, of sleep yeah. and so on but it is getting better yeah i can only imagine how hard twins must be i mean i've got a three-year-old and a two-year-old and it is rough just with those <laughs> ages i cannot imagine having to deal with that baby phase two at the same time i mean we barely survived our marriage barely survived one <laughs> yeah I I, I I remember the first night we, we, we brought them home and I, I said to my wife, yeah, I'll, I'll do the night. And literally it was zero sleep because you have the one, then you pick up the other one, you, know, you just keep on you're feeding. And I was like, I was shattered the next day. I'm, I'm, you know, I'd, say, I'd say the one thing though is if you want to, if you want to start a company, just do it, do it in your twenties <laughs> or whatever. Just, just don't do it in your forties because, uh, you know, being, being in your forties now, I mean, I'd say that's a, at PrefHQ, yeah, I could definitely do more hours. I I spread the hours now over the weekend. Mm. I'd say, uh, you know, if I do some extra work, but yeah, you know, lack of sleep with kids, and you know, just you just don't have that much energy anymore yeah. to go super late and sleep five hours. I can't do it. <laughs> and and between your professional responsibilities and your family responsibilities and the time that you spend there, is there any gap for anything else? I mean, do you have some sort of personal passion that you're involved in, some sort of hobby, anything that you do on the weekends in that like 3 to 4 a.m. time slot where you have a minute to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I play uh, I play squash. So that's, that's the hobby. So my eldest daughter is now slowly getting into it, I think. Uh, so she's got some trial tournament thing on Sunday so taking it to that we'll see how that cool. goes but yeah that's that's the thing I like to do so is play squash so I'll do that usually I try get out you know at lunch times yeah maybe three times a week and then you know play some matches in the evenings and so on so it, it's nice and quick 45 minutes and that's it so it's just no time for golf or anything uh, much longer than that yeah sort of got, it's got the right kind of profile of that ex- exertion yeah whereas golf you're kind of spreading out the same amount of exertion over five hours yeah yeah five hours and you just won't be as popular at home and also i mean yeah and also i like i like uh, i like the competitive nature you know i used to go to a little bit of german stuff and i found that like i I struggled but i like having that that competitive and that's probably works well you know with just my personality and 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 your starting company so you need to be a little bit competitive uh to to Mm. do this uh, so that squash works really well so you can compete and still lose and you know you can get used to losing a lot as well so yeah so yeah yeah you know getting you ready for that next uh, uh fundraising uh, process uh, yeah exactly <laughs> cool 
Awesome. So I think for the last five minutes, uh, Anthony, if you don't mind, I want to throw some questions at you. And just to get our listeners to get to know you a little bit better as a person, uh, how we normally do this, Alan, is I'll go sort of one for one, but I'm not sure if you have the questions that we've prepared in front of you. So I'll just run through them and we can segue if we need to. So let me yeah. let me start off with the first one. What is your latest, that's probably an easy one, what's your latest must read or watch or listen for that matter? And why do you think people should be in, uh, engaging with it? Well, yeah, Alan did such a great job selling Zyflow, so it has to be the uh, Agile CTO <laughs> podcast. I mean, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, honestly, I, I, I used to read more business books than I, than I do now. Um, but uh, I'd probably say, you know, now and then I'll listen to podcasts. So the, the, the All In podcast is good. It's uh, a pretty good podcast. All in. Yes. Okay. All In. All In podcast. Yeah, it's got you know, David Sachs and, and a few others. Uh, yeah, they're VCs now, they're operators. So they'll cover various topics. So that's a, it's a super popular podcast and, and quite, quite entertaining. Uh, so yeah, I'll spend an hour a week listening to that. And yeah, otherwise if I read, I'll try fiction books. Yeah. So yeah, just try Get your mind just, out like, of there. Yeah. Disengage from work <laughs> stuff. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, and favorite uh, fiction author at the moment? Uh, so uh, Jeffrey Archer is really good. Um, I'm reading sort of Ken Follett. So it, it, it sort of if, if, you know, in fiction yeah that's that's the two authors you know i quite enjoy at the moment so it seems like i like these um these series that go on and on like these these yeah. drama series so you know it's yeah it's like a thousand page book so i can read that for like six awesome. months sure. so, okay and your most professionally influential person in your life right now who would that be and why yeah it's, it's a combo i mean Matt, my co-founder, you know, obviously, you know, as I said, you know, it's really hard doing this stuff. So, you know, we both lean on each other. So, you know, yesterday morning we had a tough morning so we could like, you know, have a chat. So that's good. And then, you know, your, your family, your, you know, my wife, you know, it's, it's never, you know, it's it was with any startup, it, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. There's no in between. So, you know, being able to share that and share the pain uh, with someone is, is always useful. So, right. Yeah okay so the next one I, i'm trying to find a way to phrase it i try i phrase this question differently in every episode but i'll try and get it to where it makes the most sense so we all have people around us and we know that people have opinions about us um is there any do you know of any opinions that people hold about you that you find frustrating and disagree with and what what would that be yeah you know so it goes back to what we spoke about earlier where you know people yeah i think you know sometimes and this is i think mostly opinions are are also just your opinion of an opinion that's probably false but you know you think like yeah you know people think you know you don't want to you know listen to their advice etc but you are but you just don't always know exactly how to go and execute on it so you know you have to like process that uh but yeah you know you do take it on board and so on and you know at least gone better but i think that is it but i honestly yeah you so as you get older hope you know you start shedding that uh yeah focus on what what people do yeah. think it, it t- takes a while <laughs> but yeah yep and then the the opposite of that is what is your sort of most controversial opinion right now about any topic what would what do you think people would find controversial about an opinion you hold ah uh, that's a good question so it might be quite controversial. I don't know if it's controversial or not, but yeah, I'd say, you know, in terms of, you know, where we are with energy and, and you know, in Europe, I mean, gas prices going up, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, all, all that. So it's, you know, I think, you know, 
some some countries stepped out of nuclear too soon so we should actually be building more nuclear it is actually it's very safe it's it's clean and it's yeah it's much cheaper it's got yeah. a bad rap we can get green at some point but yeah we should be going you should be building nuclear um now um you know for for the next few decades right. so while we figure out the whole green technology. Yeah. Right. Cool. Okay. And then sort of the last question I have for you is, what are you currently procrastinating over? And why do you think you are? Mm. Good question. Don't know, actually. I think, oh, okay. So, yeah. So, I know there's, I think at some point it is probably in work-wise, I think it's, it's nice to have a base, nice to have an office. So, so Derek, our new CEO, is pushing to get us an, to get an office in Dallas. We had the same thing at Prefetchki, where we had a little bit of a hub um, in Dallas. And I'm, you know, when we started Zafla, I was like, we're going to be fully remote all the time. We're not going to veer from that. So that's the one decision. I'm like, yeah, you know, trying to delay it. But I think I think we we should do it. I think it makes sense. It's nice to go to a spot and have meetings because now we do book hotels, book meeting rooms, it can be a hassle. So it's nice having a little hub somewhere. It's cool. Yeah, it's a bit serendipitous, hey, Al? It's like, uh, yeah, it's exactly people, where we are. It's exactly, exactly where we are. <laughs> and uh, that um, that brings us to the end of what, you know, what we needed to cover here today. So I just want to say thank you, Anthony, for, for making the time to join us for this hour and, and yeah. getting to know you a little bit better. I think our listeners will find your insights incredibly valuable. Um, yeah, so thank you. And where can where can our listeners reach out to you if they wanted to get in contact with either you or Zyflo or to get some more insight into your world? Where can we find you? Yeah, so uh, Zyflo.com, uh, just go there, uh, Z-I-F-L-O-W.com. And then I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest. I'm also on Twitter, but LinkedIn, you know, uh, it's the easiest to find me there. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, guys. At Hayfully Software, we build dev teams that deliver and fix those that don't. Dev teams fail to deliver all the time for countless reasons, from lack of skills to barriers and culture, from politics to process, from silos to egos. Whatever the reason, it's time they deliver. This is why we exist. From enterprise to startups, we craft high-performance dev teams focused on end-to-end delivery. Visit Hayfully Software at OutsourceHS.com to learn more. You've been listening to The Agile CTO. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.